Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Parents are sometimes at a loss when it comes to teaching kids about how to handle money throughout their lives. In today's episode, I'm talking with financial counselor, Palani Franklin about how parents can better understand money themselves and help their kids develop financial literacy. Welcome back to Project Parenthood. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll help you repair and deepen your parent-child connection, increase self-compassion and cooperation from your kids, and cultivate joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Palani Franklin is president and CEO of Live for Today Financial Counseling. Through financial literacy and one-on-one support, she supports educators, professionals, as well as those experiencing systemic oppression and bias, including, but not limited to, low-income folks, people of color, LGBTQ plus folks, immigrants, unhoused folks, DV survivors, justice-involved persons, and differently abled people and seniors. Here's my chat with Palani. Hi, everyone. I'm here now with Palani Franklin. She's a financial literacy educator and counselor, mother and grandmother and entrepreneur, among many other things, who believes that children need the kind of financial literacy that's delivered in a language that recognizes their experiences, realizes their potential, speaks their language, and works to produce the kind of financial health, stability, and empowerment that they can take back to their households and their communities. Alani, I'm so glad to have you here at Project Parenthood to give us some tips for helping kids develop some financial literacy and wellness. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Before we jump into all the information I know you have for us, can you tell us a little bit about your professional journey to becoming a financial counselor? Sure. So I was working in the banking industry while I was raising two little girls. And what I noticed was that some youth employment program participants, which are young children, they were coming into the bank and they were experiencing a lot of fees, a lot of ATM fees and overdraft fees. And I noticed something really common that they would go to McDonald's five times a day to get an iced coffee at $2 a pop. And by the time they got paid, their checking account was negative to $300 from overdraft fees and ATM fees. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I got to do something about this. Our children need education, basic financial literacy, so they can understand their relationship to their checking account and their debit card. And so that led me away from banking and into the nonprofit world where I've been working as a financial counselor for a number of years, really assisting adults 18 and over. But before that, I worked with the Summer Youth Employment Program as a financial literacy educator, teaching Mm. children 
about everything from banking to budgeting to credit. And they would take that information home to their parents and come back and tell me, Miss Franklin, my parent made a change. They closed their bank account and opened it somewhere else where they're not getting any fees. And so that got me really excited and I wanted to do more and more and more. And so here I am. Oh my goodness. That's so cool. I love that. I love that, you know, just as in your bio, right? Like this child took something home, something that they learned from you, took something home that their parent could really use that really benefits their life. Yes. And I've heard that a lot. So that's why I keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. So the first thing I want to ask you, and I know it's a broad question, all of these questions are kind of broad and hard to narrow down, but if you could sort of funnel it down to the the brass tacks of like, by the time a child is around 10, what are like three foundational things kids should understand by mon- about money by that time? You know, once they're 10, what should they know about money? They should know what it is, where it comes from, and why do we need it or want it? Yeah, yeah. And like, what would be like the sort of Real fast answers to that. Like, why do we need it? Like, why would you tell a child? Why would you need, why do we need money? Well, that's a good question that I think a parent should allow the child to answer because Mm. then your next conversation will be based around what that child is capable of understanding at that stage, right? Because every child's level of understanding is different. So what do you think? Right. So that you find out a little bit like where, what do they already know and what information do they need on top of that? Right. So I know, I remember you telling me a story because I met you through the financial counseling path. You know, I remember you telling me a story about your kids when they, when your eldest was about 11 and sitting them down and sort of, and can you tell that story? I thought that was such a great story. And I was thinking, oh, I wish my parents had done that. I would be so, I would be in such a different place if I had known that information at 11. Sure. So my eldest was 11 and my youngest was seven. And I sat them down at the dining room table with all of the bills. And I think it was two of my paychecks, right? Because that was before we were using direct deposits so heavily. But you can still do it now, right? Because we can print out all those documents. And we sat with a calculator and a notebook and pencils. And I had them add up all of the bills and subtract them from the paycheck. And then we started having conversations around the difference between needs and wants. And I know that a lot of parents feel like a child should stay in a child's place and they shouldn't know the parent's financial business. But I want you to know that what me sitting at the table with my daughters resulted in was that my daughters always thought about, mom, can we afford this? Right. So during Christmas times or birthday times, they would ask me the question, are we okay to do this, mom? Right. So they mm-hmm. were sensitive to that. And they also took the lessons they learned to their classmates who who in turn took that information to their parents. So when they got older in high school and college, they really began to be miniature financial coaches. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really love that story. It's just such a good story. I mean, not only did you give them information that certainly helps them going forward in their life as adults, but it was that sort of each one teach one, right? You taught them a little something. They were able to teach their friends a little something. And those friends in turn were able to teach their parents a little something. And, you know, that's really how you ultimately make change in the world, which I love. I love that idea of it, the, that ripple effect that ripples out from the one, one little conversation you had with your children at the table ends up actually affecting a, a number of people. And now they're both in their 30s and they constantly thank me for doing that. That's how much it's impacted their entire life, especially now that they're in their 30s and my eldest has a daughter of her own. Wow, that's so amazing. It's such a great thing to know when you're young. And so you said the three foundational things, it's like what money is, why do we use it, what is it for? There was one other question in there. What money is, where does it come from, and why do we use it? And add one more to that is how do we protect it? How do we protect it? Right. Bad actors are out there. Yes, yes, absolutely. So generally, about the time they're starting middle school, it's good for them to know at least those foundational things. And now when you're getting later, you were talking about maybe, as you were saying, you're about to go off to college, you're going to be on your own. What are really important things? You know, one thing I remember about going to college myself was that I got, I started getting in the mail all of those credit cards, like sign up for this credit card, sign up for that credit card. You're 18, you can have your own credit card, right? Like this, this was a big deal. And I remember a lot of my friends signing up for those cards. I did not. I was always very intimidated by that. But a lot of I had a lot of friends who at 18 were like, oh, free money. Let me sign up for these credit cards. And so, you know, what is some good information for an 18-year-old to know who's about to go off on their own and not have us as parents right there sort of monitoring all their things and making sure they're okay? You know, what are some things that they really need to know before they go off and they're independent with their bank accounts? and with their signature and all of that? Well, I'm going to recommend two things. And these two things I'm going to suggest should start earlier than college. But by the time they reach college and even high school, they should have a very good understanding of what these two things are. The first is usury, the term usury, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a debt-based system. So a lot of the financial products and services that are offered to us are designed to put us in debt, right? Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand that concept, then we won't really understand how to benefit from the system as opposed to being a victim of the system. So understanding the term usury and what that's all about, that's number one. Number two is the importance of understanding your relationship to financial products and services. And how do we do that? By reading the contract, the terms and conditions, the fine print, those financial agreements. And those contracts begin with one simple piece of paper that we see all the time, a receipt, right? (laughs) You can go into a supermarket and buy groceries and not even know it happened to me. I ended up paying $50 for two apples. So we're not looking at the receipt before we leave the store. We don't know what we just paid for. That's a, that's a contract, right? 
that defines a relationship between you and the supermarket. Wow. Never thought of it that way. That's really good information. And and just thinking about the ideas of um, even just checking your receipt. I can just think of so many times that I have left a store without something I paid for and or I left a store. And as you said, I paid like twice for something that I only have one for. But I didn't necessarily look at that receipt until like two weeks later or something like that. And it is, you know, one of the things you did tell me, which I really that really stood out is this thing you're talking about, this idea of reading the terms, reading the contracts. All of us sort of scroll down to the bottom and it's like, click here if you've read it and everyone just clicks and moves on. And one of the things that you were expressing to me was like, what did you say yes to? What did you agree to by checking that box? Do you even know? And I think that that is really very important for kids going off to college. Like read the things you're putting your name on, you know, Um, especially as a person who, when I was very young, you know, just signed a lot of, you know, even loans and things, you know, financial aid, you just sort of put your name on things and you don't really know what it means that you're doing that. Right. And this lesson becomes very important when our children are off to college and they're handling debit cards and credit cards and checking accounts. All of those financial products come with contracts and they're legally binding. So when you walk away with that relationship, you're agreeing to everything in the contract that you never read. And nine times out of 10, you don't read it, it's going to cost you. We talked a little about how your kids sort of talk to other kids and those kids talk to their parents. But, you know, parents who are listening right now, you know, they're, they may be thinking, set my kid up well for fa- with their financial literacy. Like, I don't have that financial literacy so great to even begin to start teaching lessons. So how can parents learn about financial literacy, even through giving allowance and things like that? Like, how can they, you know, everyone talks about allowance and giving allowance and how they can help their child learn to manage money by having, by giving their child an allowance But how do they help them really set up good habits with that, especially if I, as a parent, am not great with money myself? So I would recommend that the parent participate in one-on-one financial counseling because social media allows for a lot of information to be shared. And what I find is that when folk participate in, let's say, a financial literacy webinar, that general information is really not a one-size-fits-all because everybody's financial situation is different. Everybody's financial habits are different. So when you're meeting one-on-one with the financial counselor, such as myself, then the service and the information is really particular to your lifestyle. And so then you can take what you've learned and share that information with your child. Right. So I, you sort of shore up your own knowledge a little bit, and then you can sort of pass that on. And, you know, when it does come to something like allowance, how can parents use that to help kids begin to build a good foundation of what to do when I have money of my own? You know, when we're talking about maybe an eight-year-old who's just being given, you know, I don't know, $5 a week or something like this. Right. So again, these type of things start at home, right? You have to really have the knowledge to share the knowledge, right? And you want it to be productive knowledge. So what I would recommend in handling an allowance is 
having that opportunity to have conversations with your child around budgeting. What is a budget, right? I'm giving you $10 for the week. What do you plan to do with it, right? Do you have a plan? Should you have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Also, having conversations with your child around savings and helping them understand the difference between a consumer and the producer. Because when you give your child that $10 for the week, are they the consumer or the producer? And who benefits more in the financial marketplace, the consumer or the producer? So handling the allowance is a great way to just start those conversations so your child understands that they have a role in the financial marketplace, once they have money in their hand, right? They have a level of power, right? And that power can be used for their benefit, but it also can be used to take advantage of them. So the allowance just opens up a wealth of conversations to teach them about money. Mm, okay, so two questions came to me when you when you put that out there. A, Tell me what the significance is of um, a child knowing about producers and consumers. What is? Tell me about how that is important for a kid to know. Well, the consumer side of it leads back to the conversation about usury, right? Because as a consumer, many people spend, 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 right? And they focus on their their wants and not their needs, right? So in that scenario, you can teach your child that you have this money and you can start planning for your future, right? What can you use of this money to create something to make more money, right? Like saving it and earning interest as opposed to spending, 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 right? So it's a, the consumer producer conversation really opens up a wealth of experiences into real world everyday spending and saving and budgeting, right? Right. Because your child can be either the consumer and, and that means you're sort of spending money, right? Putting money out or someone as when you're talking about um, saving and creating and um, taking advantage of interest that a bank may have, that's being a producer. Right. And I love the scenario that Michael Jackson always talked about when he was a very young child, that when they would work the chitlin circuits and he would get all this change that he would he use it to open his own candy store and would have all the neighborhood kids come to his house. <laughs> That's a perfect lesson in being a producer, right? <laughs> yes, yes. From a young age, he was making it happen. I like right. that. That's a great story. I didn't know that story. That's really great. There's another thing that comes to me. I get this question a lot, actually, in my practice. A parent is giving their young child, like, let's say a six to eight-year-old, pretty young, right? A young child, they have their own money. A parent has said, you know, we're going in the store to get, I don't know, a gift for cousin so-and-so. We're not going to get anything else but this one gift, right? That's all we're getting. We go in the store. The child immediately says, I want this. I want this. And the parent says, I'm not spending money on that. Well, that's okay. I have my own money. I'll spend my own money on it. Right. And so let's say your child, they have their own money, but they want to like 
blow that money on something that you know is very frivolous, but it's their own money. Like, can we say, like, you, know, you don't get to spend the money that we told you was yours in, the, in any way you want. You have to spend it the way I want you to spend it, right? Which in some parents' minds sort of, is it really their money if I tell them how they're supposed to spend it? Like, they, a lot of people have uh, become very confused at, like, what what they do in the moment where their child wants to make a bad spending decision, but they're also very young. Right. So that brings us right back to the conversation we were having earlier about just preparing them by having conversations about money. What is it? Why do we need it? Right. What do we need? What do we want? There's a conversation around discipline with money. That's very, very important. And once you open up the conversation around budgeting, that's encouraging them to always have a plan, right? So the money that they do have, there should be a plan attached to, to it. If you're starting them early, having those conversations, right, about having discipline and being responsible and having a plan with their money. And of course, mm -hmm. there could always be some money on the side when they have a plan. Money on the side for miscellaneous things that they want. And in those situations, it's okay to now use that miscellaneous money for something that they want. That's really random that they didn't plan for because you've already had a conversation with them about what they're planning for their money. So they already have that money set aside and that money's not even gone with them to the store. <laughs> yes. Right. So you're saying if you teach your child to always make a plan with the money that they are given, they may have some money in the miscellaneous care category with that they can spend at the toy store randomly when they come upon something that they want in the moment because they've already made a plan for all of the other dollars that they have. Right. So they may have some set aside for frivolous spending and they don't call it that. But, you know, for un unexpected expenses that may like unplanned expenses. But there's even though it's sort of unplanned, it is planned. Right. It's like we have a bucket that has money in it that is to be used sort of unexpectedly for things that just come up in the moment. But there's other parts of our dollars that we have planned for other things like savings or perhaps I'm saving up to get a bike or something like this. I'm, I, so you're sort of, uh, you're using that strategy that I've heard other people talking about, sort of giving every dollar a job. Like every dollar you have has a particular purpose. And this is about sort of figuring out what that purpose is before you start spending money. Like what is every dollar going to do before you start sending money out of your hands? Right. And I have a wonderful title I put to that money when my children were young and we sat at that dining room table. And everybody's budget should should include fun money. <laughs> <laughs> fun money, yes. So that would be in their fun money category. You know, how much money do you have in your fun money category? Can you afford this little toy? You know, that kind of thing. That's. But I like what you're talking about, just having conversations, just talking about you know, even before anyone leaves home and starts spending money, just even talking about the concept of money, I think is such a um, something I know I did not grow up with at all. So I think even just that is such great knowledge for little kids that money has a purpose. And, you know, people who have a lot of it 
know a lot of information about what money is doing and how to how to use it. And I think, you know, one of the things I think is that's amazing about what you're doing is the idea that not everyone has like all of this information is available to us all, but not everyone knows a that it's available or b that it could help you to have it right have this information. I think that that's something that not everybody's raised with, and I think it's such a you know a great thing that you're doing to educate people around around these things that are you know for some people common knowledge. Right. So there are local, state, and federal websites that have a lot of financial literacy education on them. There are games. There are different budgeting tools you can use. There are checklists you can use for all age groups, for yourself and your children. Yeah, and we're going to put all, you gave us a lot of wonderful resources. We're going to put all those things in the show notes. Um, You know, I know this is a broad question, but... If you had to boil it down, like what's your number one don't for parents who want their kids to be financially literate? Like what's like a thing they really should not do? Don't hide your finances from your children, right? They're okay. going to be adults a lot longer than they're going to be children. And you want to start them early with teaching them about responsibility and discipline around money, right? Children should know early that you have to pay for the roof over your head and the food and, and the fun. Yes. Yes. I have an eight-year-old and, and I will say, you know, every single thing that you can put your eyes on in this room <laughs> cost money, right? Except for the two of us. And, you know, that everything here costs money and it doesn't just fall from the sky. So we have to figure out you know, what we're going to do with all these dollars. We have to make a plan, as you're saying, right? And and I think that that is something that many little kids do not understand, you know? And that's why there are so many kids who are like, why can't I just have a 30th pair of Jordans? Like, what's the problem? Like, just buy them for me. But I think what you're saying is imp- important when kids really are in the dark about their parents' financial situation. They are just saying like, well, I don't understand. Why can't you just get this for me? Like, what's the problem? Um, and I you know, when you're talking about your own kids and the fact that they did know something about the household finances, put them in a situation where they weren't just asking for anything. They were saying, you know, is this a realistic thing that we can get for our family, right? And they have a different context in their own mind for, for these fun things that they want. Absolutely. And that concept became very, very important when they were teenagers because their friends as teenagers had different experiences than them. We know there's a lot of things going on out there in the world that teenagers are exposed to. And so that discipline comes in when you learn about money early and your parents tell you, no, you can't have this because it's not in the budget. And they understand that it's not because they're bad. It's just that we don't have it. So then they will grow up and tell themselves no. I don't have it or no, my friend is doing it in my class. I don't want to do that. So no, the word no is a wonderful word for children to learn. (laughs) I mean, it's really interesting how you're saying that, like in some ways by, you know, standing firm and by being transparent about our finances to some extent. I mean, I'm sure there's some things that are just over a kid's head to some extent, but like, 
But, you know, when they, as you were talking about sort of middle school age, right, this idea of like them having an idea, some idea about the finances in the household gives them a very realistic idea of what's possible and what is not possible. Because I think that also when you're having those kind of conversations, you can talk about the importance of having a plan or the fact that the reason I can even give you this allowance is because I have a plan. Right. Even the, the fact that I even have extra money to give is because I, I planned for that. And I think that that's really, really important. And so I love that idea of, of trying to rethink the idea of making the family finances a black box that kids don't know about. You know, like, is there some way that you can make it understandable enough that your child can, you know, be more actively involved with what's coming in and what's going out? I think that's just such a great idea. You know, I know we're getting close to the end. We're going to wrap up soon. But one of the things that stands out to me from working with you is just that you've used so much of your actual life experience that sort of put on like light bulbs over your head, right? You know, it's sort of something that is happening in your actual life. And I'm wondering, like, if you're looking back, knowing what you know now, what is the best advice you have for parents who are starting to teach their kids financial literacy? Like sort of like that don't, right? Like surveying your life and how you did things. And even, you know, even since you sat your kids down at that dining room table, you know, even now, even after that, is there something that you, you know, if you could go back to when your eldest daughter was 11, is there something you would do differently now? I would give them more tangible things to touch around money. By the the time I started working in elementary schools, teaching children financial literacy, I had to develop lesson plans. I had to get really creative quickly. And so I found fake money that looked real on the Federal Reserve website or the U.S. Mint's website. And I found paychecks and I would put the children's names on the paychecks and have them line up in the class and have them cash their checks and give them the fake money. And I put a budget in front of them. You could live at home and pay $500 or live in the Bronx and pay a thousand or live in Manhattan and pay 2000. And I would have all of those choices on the budget, right? You can pay for your own car at 500 a month, or you can pay for a Metro card at a hundred dollars a month. So I would give them the opportunity to make those tangible choices early so they can get a feel for it. Because what I found in the classroom, it gave those children an incredible sense of control, so much so that I'll never forget one day this young man, he was nine years old. He came into me one morning in the classroom and he said, "Miss Franklin, thank you for teaching me what you're teaching me because I don't want to sleep on the street when I get older. I don't know why he said that. We didn't get into it, but I'll never forget him saying that to me. And I really believe it because I put something in their hand. So they weren't just learning about this stuff. They were feeling it and they were able to make decisions and and feel a sense of control with it. Right. And it also makes it much more real to them, right? It's not just sort of a theoretical, you know, when you're 18 and you have some money, what are you going to do with it right now? You know what I mean? Putting them in those real world situations like you're talking about. Do you want to live in this borough or that borough? What's more economical? Putting them in those real life situations. So it sounds like what you're saying is 
if you have the chance when you're a parent to give kids some kind of tangible way to understand these concepts that we're talking about, you know, is there some way you can give them a sense of control over something, you know, it's not so theoretical, sort of abstract, make it more concrete for them, something they can hold, something that they can see and touch. Right. And it can start from play when they're really, really young, because Amazon has like play money sets. There's paper money, there's credit cards, there's debit cards, there's like the cashier machines where they can play like they have a store at home, right? And you can barter and you can get make purchases from them and allow them to give you change and count their change. And I love that. I love that. And kids love those kinds of things. They love to press a button. If you know a, a fake cash machine, like there's so many buttons to press. Like that, kids love a button to press. So that would be so much fun. You know, I really want to thank you for being with us today. I think all of these things are really, really important and something that doesn't come up often enough, I feel like, um, and it should. It's such a foundational thing. As people tune into this podcast to learn about how do I potty train my child? What do I do when my siblings are fighting with one another? And it's also like, also, how do they deal with their allowance? You know what I mean? It does, those are really important things, too. It's not always an in-the-moment, someone's-having-a-tantrum kind of situation. There are these long-term things that really set you up in a, in a better way for your future. So thank you so much for being here. But before we end, I really want you to let people know where they can find you, if they want to work with you, if they want more information, if they want you to come talk at their school, what, whatever. Tell us how people can find you. So they can contact me at Live for Today Financial Counseling. That is my website. They can send me an email. There's contact form. They can join the membership. There's a free membership where they'll have access to financial literacy webinars that I've, I'm doing on different financial literacy topics. Great. That sounds wonderful. And you also gave us a lot of references, people. If you're listening, a lot of references that Polani has put in the that we're going to put in the show notes that she's shared with us. So there's a lot of ways that you can get more information and find out a lot of free tools that you can use to help yourselves get more information. Polani, I just want to thank you so much for being here. Thanks for agreeing to talk with me today. I know I sort of strong-armed you. I'm like, I need to have you on my podcast. Like you're, You have such good information. And I'm so glad that you agreed to, to come and speak with us. And I'm, I know that parents have gotten some good information and they will continue to um, be able to use the resources that you're sharing with us. That's all for today's episode of Project Parenthood. Thanks for listening. And I hope you found this helpful. Be sure to join me live on Instagram at BK Parents on Monday, January 29 at 1245 for my monthly Ask Dr. Core. And get your questions answered in real time. If you have a question for me about parent-child relationships, respectful parenting tips, and or parental mental health that you'd like me to cover in a future episode, shoot me an email at parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. Leave a message at 646-926-3243 or leave a message on Instagram at BKParents. And you can learn about my private practice working with parents living in New York State at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend. 
Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. See you next week.